The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And Pete, this is going to be... Maybe the most contentious episode of Keeper Cut ever because we are recording while the Guardians and Red Sox are taking the field in a showdown of teams that are still desperately clinging to wildcard hopes. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're technically in fifth place. This is, the, I think, the first time this late in the year that a team has been in last place in the East other than the Orioles since I think it was like 2017 or something like that. When was the last time the Red Sox were in last? Uh, actually kind of, it had to have been somewhat recently cause that's how we got Marcelo Meyer, unless we were so bad, the Orioles were worse, but I thought we finished in last place the season that we got Marcelo Meyer cause we had the fourth overall oh. pick. So <sighs> yeah. Okay. I guess it couldn't have been that long ago. Well, <laughs> it's extremes here. It, we're either like, it is just crazy that in that division they're in they're, you're, you're in fifth place. But legitimately still in the wildcard picture, like 49 and 49 at 500. If we go to the wildcard, the Red Sox are three and a half games out. That's not that's far from insurmountable. So, but it's, know, it's, it's a whole it's a momentum thing, right? I mean, like, like, yes, on well, if true. you just looked at it now and saw the record, You'd say like, no, they're still in the thick of it. But man, that the bottom of the order is just so, so bad. And that's hardly the issue, by the way. I mean, it's it's the whole team. The bullpen's a disaster. They can't find anybody to start. Everybody's hurt. It's it's bad. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. It's just fascinating that like, I don't think like I don't think the White Sox, who are also both Sox are, are exactly 500 at 49 and 49. I don't think the White Sox are looking to sell, considering themselves out of it. I think they think like, they can get things going again. I think there's talk about like, should Baltimore be buying? And I'm not sure I think Baltimore should be buying, but that's mostly because I think that their second half could get real ugly. Um, And because I think they've got a really good core in place. And I would, if I'm them, I'm waiting to add to that next year. And then you got Cleveland just ahead of Baltimore, half game up on Baltimore, who also like, Lots of conversation. Cleveland fans, I will tell you, desperately want the team to buy. Now, the more analytically minded Cleveland fans would like to see them be opportunistic. And so, you know, like Cleveland's done this pretty well in the past where like if the right offer comes along for, let's say, Shane Bieber, you trade Shane Bieber and you take that right offer if it's there. At the same time, if the right offer exists to acquire, you know, Luis Castillo or Pablo Lopez or Frankie Montas or someone like that. Go do that too. Like those are also fine things to do. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what any of those teams do. But it is fascinating that like you have four teams. So right now in the AL, you've got your three division leaders, you've got your three wild card leaders, and then you have four teams that are either that are between two and a half and three and a half out. And I just feel like narratives around all four of them are so different. Like they're all right there. They have basically the same record, but like. Boston fans seem done. There's talk about whether or not they should trade Xander Bogarts, who we're going to talk about later in this episode. The White Sox, like most of what I hear from White Sox fans is like, we've been totally snake bitten this year and things can only get better. And so we're we're still right in the thick of things. 
I think most Cleveland fans feel like we're just ahead of schedule, right? You had a, you had a bunch of kids coming up and people are performing. And so here they are all sudden sort of in the midst of it. And then you have Baltimore. Everyone's just like, Baltimore? Really? <laughs> so you have these four really different stories for teams that have very similar records. It maybe is worth noting that Cleveland is the only one of those teams with a positive run differential. Maybe that's worth noting. But even that, I mean, it's not like their run differentials, like their expected win-loss records based on run differential aren't that far apart. Cleveland's the best of them at 49 and 47. Chicago, the worst at 47 and 51. Like, it's just not that wide a range. I also wonder how much the four-touchdown game from the Blue Jays is affecting the Red Sox run differential. They (laughs) would be... Obviously, by 24 or 23 runs, whatever it was. Yeah, they would be positive if they... If they had not played that game, <laughs> like what was the final same, score of that one? Same with me. <laughs> <laughs> the final score was 28 to five. We got a safety at the end of the third quarter to bring us within 23. 28 times. So you lost by 23 and your run differential right now is negative 15. So all you had to do was keep it within <laughs> eight or something instead of 23. That's a pretty significant difference, though. So it's not like you're that that's close. A, and that's I don't why know like, I feel I, better I, or not. It, it doesn't. But it, um, and I, I guess like smaller basis. This is why I don't like run differential as much. Like I, I do think it's generally a good stat. But man, every Blue Jays fan was jumping up and down about the team's run differential last year and how they if they made the playoffs, they would have won the World Series. And it's like it's just one stat like. And look at them now. Like, they're great, and they're getting better, actually, but they're not the Yankees. And I, I don't know. I, run differential, I think, is fine if you take it for what it is and you don't project it on, you know, the rest of the season. Yeah, I wonder if there's some interesting data in, like, run differential capped at eight per game or something like yeah. that. Something where, like, if you're up eight, what it, there, there's some rule about how close the game has to be to allow a or how much of a blowout it has to be before a position player can pitch. It's like seven or something like that. If you're within seven, you can't use a position player. And I wonder if you just use that as a cutoff and said like run differential. But if you're winning by eight plus, then we cap you at seven and call it seven. And where I think run differential is useful is like the ability to score 20 runs is still an ability to score 20 runs. I think where it falls apart is, you know, you're up nine nothing and so the other team starts using position players they use like non-major league caliber pitchers who you know they take the guy in the end of their bullpen who usually would be used for like one inning of mop-up duty and have them throw three innings of mop-up duty and they're just getting torched but they stay out there because you know the guy's getting burned and heading down to triple a tomorrow anyway so what's the difference and it's like then those runs sort of don't matter they aren't actually speaking to an ability to to win games so i hear you i hear you but regardless of that it is it's an interesting topic to look at those standings because it is trade deadline time we're recording this on wednesday the 27th this will post on monday which is the first monday's the first and the deadline is the second right so it's coming up it's coming up fast There's a lot of interesting names out there. And so what we wanted to do is take a look at trade deadline deals we'd like to see happen because of the fantasy implications, right? So this isn't a, you know, as much as either one of us would like to say Juan Soto to our favorite teams, that's not the point of this. (laughs) Point of this is to look at trades that could theoretically happen that would have interesting, positive, or negative fantasy implications. I guess because they're trades we want to see, there's got to be some sort of positive fantasy implication, unless it's just like, I want to see this guy's value tanked. (laughs) But I don't think that's what we're trying to do here. So (laughs) we're going to go through, we got two deals each that we talked, that we, we sort of put together. Again, the goal here is to be, the goal here is to be at least somewhat realistic. So that's not to say that any of these deals are deals we definitely think are going to happen or should happen or anything like that, but they're deals that make sense. They're players that could be traded moving to teams that could trade for them that we think would have positive fantasy implications if they happened. And to kick things off, Pete, I know you want to talk about 
Luis Castillo. What do you want to see with him? Yeah, so the deal I came up with with Castillo. Well, first of all, Luis Castillo, like he, he it's weird because he's a pitcher who we think like, oh, we got to get him out of Great American Ballpark, and like, yeah, that's true of every pitcher that pitches there, unless you're a Reds fan, right? Like, we we got to get them out of there, but. The ballpark's not that much of a big deal for Castillo. I'd argue over the last two years, the bigger problem for him regarding his team is the defense. And it was much worse last year with Eugenio Suarez manning shortstop. And Castillo generates a lot of ground balls. It's actually, it looks kind of low for him this year. If I had to guess, his ground ball rate is right around 50%, which is still great. It's well above league average, but not as much as you'd maybe expect from these really heavy ground ball guys. But anyway, 50% is 50%. It's, it's, it's probably who he is anyway. Ground ball pitcher. Most of his balls are going to be in the ground. And I want to see him go to the Cardinals. I found the Cardinals to be an interesting fit. Like I noticed that you also have one of your guys going to a division rival. And I think that's kind of something that maybe we've even talked about this in the past. is not a big deal. Like if you're the Reds, you're so far from contending. Who cares if you give a 30-year-old pitcher to a, another team in the division? Like you're you're looking ahead. If they're giving you the best package, you do it. I think maybe a Nolan Gorman or Matthew Libertor package could could get the deal done. I mean, it might t- it's obviously going to take a lot more just be given how few starting pitchers are out there on the market. And Chad, you did ask beforehand, like, should we even come up with packages or just like locations for where we want these guys to land? And just for the sake of talk, I wanted to come up with packages, but like nobody ever gets these right, right? The guy that we think is going to go for a ton of prospects ends up going for a few. The guy we don't think they're going to get anybody for, they end up getting something for. Trades are so hard to predict in MLB. But Nolan Gorman or Matthew Libertor package for uh, Luis Castillo, get him to the Cardinals. The Cardinals have a great defense, not just because of all the gold gloves they won last year, but if you look at their outs against average and you look at it for just the infield, I'm only looking at the infield because that's obviously what would matter most for Luis Castillo. Not a lot of balls go in the air against him. Their gap, so they're in first, 21 they have a score of 21 outs against average. Second place is the Padres at 16. The gap between first and second is equal or actually bigger than the gap between second and sixth. The Cardinals have a great defense. Everybody knows that. Arenado over there at third base has been a vacuum, but that's clearly something that that organization values. And last point on Castillo, like the defensive upgrade, the ballpark upgrade, he only has three wins this year, which like that's the Reds. You don't expect them to get a lot of wins, but like three for a guy who routinely goes deep into outings and and to have such a low whip in ERA and he's only got three wins since the start of June Castillo's pitched at least six innings pitched in every start except for one. He's pitched at least seven innings pitched in every July start. So to only have three wins just feels wrong. I think if he went to the Cardinals, he could be a serious contributor in that category. So Castillo, that, that would be my pick Castillo to the Cardinals. It's an interesting one. I like that idea for Castillo. I think the the return, like the return gets interesting from even from a fantasy perspective because first of all, like Gorman getting into the Great American Ballpark would be great, but I actually think Gorman is too much for Castillo. Like I don't think that's where the package starts. I think Libertor could be, but that'd be a disaster for his fantasy value. Uh, but I do wonder about someone like Alec Burleson who I think would be an interesting fit. They they could look at someone like a Juan Yepes, a Lars Nupar, who seems a little bit blocked there. There are some guys that I just think would be interesting pieces for them to move. Even a, like a guy like Mason Wynn is an interesting name. They've got a bunch of names that could fit. I personally think Gorman, if we're looking at the their young major or minor league players, like Gorman and Walker are two guys that I would just, I'd be like, no, like that's not that's just too much for us to give up for for Castillo. Castillo would help them a lot and I think you're absolutely right to getting him in front of a, a an improved defense and yes, you're saying Great American Ballpark hasn't hurt him that much. He's pitched pretty well at home, but like that's still a big ballpark upgrade too, right? So they don't want to don't want to ignore that. Now looking at sort of good defensive teams where Castillo might be a, a fit. I mean, if they didn't want to trade him in division, like Baltimore has had a pretty good defense, I believe, this year, and in theory could be in the market for a starting pitcher. I, I don't know if I've if I'm then if I want to make that trade, but maybe the Blue Jays could be. I don't know if the Blue Jays are in the market for a starter. Feels like they should be. They're they're bringing back Yusei Kikuchi this week, right? So like, seems like a starting pitcher wouldn't be the worst idea. 
And, uh, yeah, and Stripling's been well. They they just need Barrios to be not terrible, and then I think they're fine at starting pitcher. Yeah, that could be true. Maybe they're not a great fit then. So, but there are some teams that have been been solid defensively that that would be a good fit. And I do think you're you're right to call out. It's an interesting thing. I started to look at other teams that are sort of near the bottom. You've been looking at outs above average. Are there other teams at the bottom that have pitchers you you would love to see them get rid of? I have to I'd have to pull it up in front of me. So just give me a minute. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess yes. <laughs> I'm sure there are. I mean, I don't know why there wouldn't be. So. So actually, I mean, one of them we're going to talk about because he's on the same team and, and there was someone who tweeted at us uh, and yeah. responded to that. So I won't even bring him up. We don't need to dive into that just yet. But looking at those bottom teams, it's it's unsurprising. There's no one really on the Nationals that I would expect them to move like Josiah Gray just gives up a lot of home runs. So like there's not Fielding's not going to do anything about that and they're not going to trade him away because they just got him as as part of the main package for Scherzer and Trey. The Giants defense overall. I, I I'm kind of surprised to see it rank so poorly 29th in baseball. And Carlos Rodon, if the Giants decide to sell, like he's an obvious candidate to sell. He's going to opt out because he's having a terrific year and they could perhaps get a haul for him from one of those contenders. So I guess Carlos Rodon would get my vote and he's another ground yeah. ball guy. Alex Cobb, another guy who who's on that team who theoretically could get moved if they decide to sell. So that's an interesting one. I do wonder if the Giants are going to sell, but yeah, that's another team to look at that guys leaving the Giants. Any pitchers who the Cubs trade, they've been pretty bad defensively. That's sort of it. I don't know if there's a lot of other pitchers down at the bottom of that that fielding standings that I think are likely to get moved, like you said, but those are guys that have, you know, guys leave those teams. They leave the Reds, they leave the Giants, they leave the Cubs. Almost anywhere they go, their defense is going to get better behind them. I know there's been a lot of talk about Tarek Skubal potentially getting traded and that his defense has been really bad behind him, but the Tigers are actually ninth in outs above average. So and their infield's even better. Is it? They're, yeah, their infield is sixth, and uh, Skubal is another 50% ground ball guy, and it's just great to pitch in Comerica anyway. Yeah, so yeah. Skubal, maybe one of those rare downgrades. Just quick correction. I said Carlos Rodon, ground ball pitcher. He's obviously not, but... I'd still like to see him get out of San Francisco. Fair enough. Let's jump to another pitcher. This guy, he is not in a park like Grand American Ballpark at all. He is not playing in front of a particularly bad defense. It's not a particularly good defense, but it's a, you know, it's a defensive defense. They do fine. Um, (laughs) But Frankie Montas, very likely to get traded. And I did, as you noted, suggest that Montas may get traded within the division, which, you know, as we talked about before, teams seem loath to do that, but I don't really understand why go get the best package. Frankie Montas to me makes a ton of sense for Seattle. They could use another arm. They've got the young talent to get a deal done. They could talk about a guy like Matt Brash, Taylor Trammell. They could also like, I don't know what the Mariners plans are with Jared Kelnick, but like, Kelnick for Montas is a real interesting straight up deal. So there are some options there for Seattle to get a deal done. The key for me with Montas with any trade is he is in such a good park right now that I'm very worried that he's going to get traded somewhere where his value is going to tank, right? Like I don't want to see him end up in like an extreme hitters park where he's facing tougher competition or something like that, right? Like it, it, it could get ugly. Seattle is a good fit from a fantasy perspective. I already talked about why they make sense from sort of a baseball perspective, but from a fantasy perspective, T-Mobile Park is not, it's not Oakland. Like it's not the the pitcher's heaven that you get by the bay, but it's not a bad park for pitching. It, it certainly plays more to pitchers than hitters. They also, the Mariners, have a bottom five rest of season schedule based on, now it's based on win percentage. So it's not exactly a measure of offense. But looking within their division, they have 11 left with the Angels. The Angels who might be trading Shohei Otani and who may or may not have Mike Trout again this year, given the, the news we got today. So that's a, that's a pretty bad team, especially without those two. They have and nine more. Terrible. Yeah, they have nine more against Oakland. 
So Montas will get to face his old team at least a couple times, and they're terrible. Sweet they have revenge. seven more against Texas, and they only have four left against Houston. So you know half the remaining schedule is within the division, and it's almost exclusively with teams that pitchers should be thrilled to face. That's a good thing to know in general. Like if you're debating if you're going to do something with you know a guy like George Kirby, <laughs> like if you're you know in a fantasy league, like let's say that you were in an auto new head to head points league. And you were debating whether or not you were going to trade George Kirby to your co-host of a podcast. You might <laughs> want to consider the fact that George Kirby should have a real soft schedule for the next, you know, couple months. So, well, I was listening to uh, Fantasy Baseball today, and they were talking about young pitchers, and they actually said that Kirby looks like one of the most likely to get shut down early. And I'm not saying that just so you'll accept the deal. But I think he's he's basically already hit like his his innings or, or matched or exceeded his innings from last year. And, you know, obviously with young guys now because of the 2020 season, their innings are even lower um, than than they normally would be because they did not pitch that season in professional ball. So he might be a guy that gets shut down a little bit early. He might. But I also the the Mariners, if they continue to hang around and have a <laughs> heard that demonic laughter, that was my daughter. <laughs> They continue to hang around and have a real shot at the postseason. I don't think, man, I don't know. I don't know that, like, I maybe if they trade him, someone else would shut him down. But as it stands right now, they are one up on Tampa for the second wild card spot and three and a half up on Cleveland for holding on to that third wild card spot. And they don't have somebody to replace him. But Montas makes a ton of sense for. Seattle. They have a really easy schedule the rest of the way. As an added bonus here, if the Mariners include close to ready players, a guy like a Matt Brash, a guy like a Taylor Trammell, a guy like Kelnick, it may give those guys a shot to play that they're not getting right now. And so that's the other thing I look at with some of these trades is like, is there an opportunity to sort of unblock someone and give them a chance? And there could be in this case. So I, that's what I like about this from a fantasy perspective is you get the possibility of Montas landing somewhere that isn't a disaster because there's a chance he ends up somewhere that is. The possibility of guys going back to Oakland who suddenly get a shot to play every day. So I I like that. I think it's sort of interesting. What do you think about that? No, I really like it. I mean, the first reason is, and it's something that I hate to talk about because it's such a lame category, but we continue to use it in at least five by five as wins. And it's a guy who's, you know, he has 19 games started with a 3.18 ERA and a 1.13 whip. He has four wins. Um, And that is because Oakland is the best team to stream against because they could not hit their way out of a paper bag. And if he goes to Seattle, not only is it an easier schedule, like you said, but it's just a much better team. So I think that's going to be the biggest difference makers for cat in categories leagues for these pitchers that get moved Castillo and Montas is that like it's the, it, obviously sellers are usually bad teams, but to, these two guys have a combined seven wins, eight wins. That's ridiculous. So they're going to go from players who have not contributed in that category at all to perhaps major contributors in that category, because what do we look for in wins? Well, it's guys who go deep into outings, which both of these dudes do and play for good teams and they do. So I, I think that could be a noticeable if you're low in the win category in your leagues and you have a Montas or you have a Castillo, I wouldn't start t- doing risky streams. I'd wait a week, see who they're playing for. And all of a sudden you might see those win totals start to go up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's jump to the next guy on our list. And this was this is probably who you were most. I don't know if excited is the right word. You wanted <laughs> to talk about this guy. I can't imagine it'll make you real happy to discuss the possibility of him leaving his current team. But. Take a deep breath, control your emotions, and let's talk a little bit about Xander Bogarts. Uh, Yeah, so like honestly, I'm very realistic about the situation the Red Sox are in. And quite frankly, the way he's played this year, I'm glad they didn't give him some crazy max max contract. I'm talking NBA, some crazy huge contract. Look, I love Bogarts. I always will. He's he's won two World Series with us. He's going to go into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. He's going to have his number retired, all that stuff. He's great. Package him, but package him to Brooklyn to get concerning signs. Kevin Durant. Uh, you're, you're gonna oh, I feel Sander better about that than giving up Jalen Brown. <laughs> that would be that'd be great, honestly. The question but is, I mean, look, you have to send eight, 
to Brooklyn, is that the Yankees or is it like the Dodgers because they used to be in Brooklyn? Like who gets him? But you'll have to figure that out later. <laughs> or, or does he just have to play for the Nets? <laughs> <laughs> he seems like he could be a good basketball player. He's like athletic. He seems like he'd be. He's so kind of tall, right? I would bet that Xander Bogarts is better at basketball than Kevin Durant is at playing shortstop. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, think Kevin Durant's six eleven frame is gonna. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and Xander, I mean, he's six two two eighteen. You're telling me he can't be a point guard? Yeah, he's athletic enough. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And like, he could probably learn to shoot a basketball. I don't think. I don't think Durant can hit a curve. No, I don't think Durant can hit a fastball. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> But anyway, there's, there's concerning signs. He has his worst average exit velocity since 2017. His barrel percentage is pathetic. It's like 6.6% or something. I, I just had it up in front of me, but it's gone. It's in the sixes. It's his worst K rate of his career, but I hesitate to bring that up because his K rate is still good f- compared to the MLB, but it's it's not for him. It's up over 20%, which hasn't been for a while. His lowest max EV since 2018. It's not much of an outlier, though. They're pretty much all pretty close together. But for what it's worth, it is his lowest max EV. So there are signs to me that like it's it's probably t- this is your last chance to sell on Bogarts because he's obviously gone. I don't think a lot of Red Sox fans have come to grips with that. But like <laughs> they just signed Trevor Story for to this massive contract and they've basically given this guy the door. Now, the Red Sox, if you think they should sell or not, I understand, you know, people kind of debating that. I think they should. I, like everything that could go could have gone wrong in the last two weeks has gone wrong. Look at the IL. There's like one hundred and eighty million dollars worth of players on the IL right now for the Red Sox. Now, all that all that aside, where should he go? I think it's I think it's actually kind of obvious. I think he should go to the Astros. Now, the fit is not perfect because. Jeremy Pena is there and he's played well. He's arguably been better. Than, I don't even know if it's arguably even better than Bogarts this year. So it's a, it's kind of a weird sell. But to bring in a player like Bogarts with that pedigree, I mean, that's a monster splash of a move. And I guess my thinking is maybe another move would follow. And these things kind of tend to figure themselves out when you roster two players like that, right? Like it, 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 it'll figure itself out. I would like to see the Red Sox get back a player like Christian Javier. We don't need to go down this road. I, that's a lot to pay for a rental, but it is Xander Bogarts. And the Astros already have a six-man rotation right now with Lance McCullers coming back. So, I, like Jake Odorizzi, if you count him. Um, so Javier, well, like the I, Astros, the Astros have said they're open to trading controllable starting pitching. So there may be pitchers on the move. I I don't know that I can see them. They like what do you do with Bogarts? That's you see, can't that's move him to third base. You can't play him at shortstop. Like I mean, you can right. He's He's, uh, you can make an, a, a strong case that you would rather have Xander Bogarts as your shortstop than Jeremy Pena the rest of the year. But I don't think it's obvious, and I don't think it's a clear enough or a large enough improvement that I want to give up anything meaningful for it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. I'm twisting myself into a pretzel to figure out how to do it. But I do think Jeremy Pena himself could bring something back in the trademark, and I guess that's where my thinking was at. That there, there's going to be more moves on the way, and this, I mean, if you're Houston, it's about maximizing this Justin Verlander, Jose Altuve window, right? I mean, like these guys are not going to perform like superstars for the rest of their. They're not Tom Brady. They're not going to continue to do it until they're 50 years old. So maximizing that window, and and you know, who knows how long Jordan Alvarez's knees are going to keep up, and all that stuff. Like, let's they have a great team win now and if you give up a piece like Javier to bring in a player like Bogarts and then move Pena in a separate deal to open things up I think that could be an option for them because they they have other holes right like corner outfield has been a bit of an issue Michael Brantley's been out and and this has been a terrible year for Yuli Gurriel who's got a WRC plus of 91 he has not been himself so there's upgrading to be done if you are the Houston Astros and Javier is a perfect fit for the Red Sox. I mean, their pitching's a disaster. They need something. Um, and if you could bring in a player like that, then you should. Final point on Bogarts: his expected home run, expected home runs in Houston would be thirteen this year, which is most of any park. His power's been pathetic. So when I saw thirteen, I was like, "Whoa!" But it's the Crawford boxes, and so Bogarts would be trading those those Fenway doubles for homers in Houston and. I think that would obviously be a sizable fantasy upgrade the rest of the season for Bogarts. Wouldn't expect him to sign an extension with them. I would I think he has a new home next year. So for keeper leagues, it'd be a very short term boost. But for the second half, if Houston came out of nowhere and got Sander Bogarts, I think it'd be huge. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who because I'll be honest, like I just 
I don't know that I buy it. I don't think they're I don't think they're trading for Bogarts and then spinning off Pena. I think they're the, think this they're is just like my Pena, if so. I'm a Bogarts roster, this is like my dream scenario. Yeah. Not likely. I'm, I'm not trying, trying to make a prediction here. Right, right. I'm trying to think if there's like like what are the what are the more realistic because they are I mean, he is a guy they should shop if they're selling, for sure. Like, you know, Seattle, if he'd play second base, like they're rolling Adam Frazier out at second base and he's a perfectly acceptable major league player but like if you could push Frazier to the bench and into utility role he's played some outfield for them like he would make a ton of sense St. Louis and has Bogarts been would lengthen that lineup oh for St. sure Louis they've been rumored well, pretty much all year and I think Gorman's been so bad that I think he just gets he just gets bumped out and Tommy Edmond moves to second base yeah I think that could make sense I think boy does San Diego want to upgrade shortstop if Tatis yeah. isn't going to be a shortstop like that's another interesting one I would try, I don't know I don't know who else I just don't I can't think of where else he goes well, most um, good teams just have shortstops yeah and then I'm trying to think of like where could he play like where would he be an upgrade at a different position and like maybe I don't know, like the the twins have sort of a rotating cast of characters around some of their infield positions, but like Jose Miranda and Luis Arise have been good. They just got Sano back who would play some first. Right. So like, could you put him at third base next to Correa? Sure, you could, but I don't know. Again, I don't know that they're going to do that. It's an interesting one. It's not like middle infield isn't really a need for Cleveland and they're not likely to make that kind of a short-term move. Maybe I guess Baltimore it seems like a crazy trade to happen, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's some, it's hard to figure out where, yeah, I just don't know where I would send him. Who are the Mets playing at second base these days? Is it still McNeil? It's gotta be right. Cause that outfield. So, yeah, I mean, you could move you could move McNeil to the outfield, I guess. But, but you got Nemo Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. McNeil has not been good recently, and so maybe they just—I don't know—maybe they just don't believe he's going to keep being good. I don't know. He could make some sense in Philly. So I was just going to say, and boy, would that be a nice landing spot for him in terms of a park that he could mash in and a lineup lineup. my goodness yeah boy you put him there and then just get rid of dd gregorius yes (laughs) that's all it is just dfa dd gregorius and i wonder though the phillies like what is the what's the trade piece that the phillies have because i don't feel like they've got a bunch of Let's look. Let's look at their system real quick. I mean, Mick Abel seems like too much to give up. I don't know. Like, would they trade Bryson Stott? Maybe. Logan O'Hoppy seems maybe too much, but could be a fit. I don't know. I think there's some deal Stott. There. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Bogart, it's, Bogarts is such a weird player to value, too, because it's already hard to do these hypothetical trades. It just upsets everybody. The fan of yeah. fans of both sides say they're not getting enough in return, but like, as hard as I was on Bogarts with those numbers and the fact he is a rental, the dude has a 136 WRC plus this year. Like there's no question that Xander Bogarts is a bona fide stud in MLB. So I will be disappointed if they move him and don't get that much in return for whatever reason that might be. And and if you look at his expected batting average and think that he's due for regression and that his batting average is too high, he's outperformed his expected batting average all the time. So that's not a concern for me with Bogarts. It just... I hope they move him and I hope they get something good. Makes sense. Let's take a quick break. During that break, I'm going to debate whether or not to tell Pete that the Guardian scored three in the top of the second to take the lead <laughs> or if I should leave him, you know, leave him happy for a little bit longer. So we'll be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to 
all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcherless community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherless.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back. It turns out Pete could hear me speculating on whether or not I should tell him that the Guardians <laughs> took the lead. So now he knows the, the Astros threw the ball around or the Astros, the Red Sox threw the ball around. It was a sort of ugly inning. So sorry about that. Well, let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going on our trades. We'd like to see happen. And I just can't get enough of the athletics. I already talked about Frankie Montas. I'm going to talk about his battery mate now. And I would like to see Sean Murphy get traded to the Mets. So the the biggest issue with this from a realism standpoint might be that the Mets believe enough in Francisco Alvarez that they don't want to trade for a catcher who's got control. My personal take on this is that with the DH and with catchers needing rest and not always aging well, like catchers don't always age well. They need days off and they also often are slow to develop. And between all those things, I don't see it as a problem if I'm the Mets to have both Sean Murphy and Francisco Alvarez. If they are both producing the way I think they can and they're both healthy, then they take turns DHing. Then they can both play, let's say, 60% of the time, which is all you expect from your catcher anyways. Like if, you know, if they each catch two games out of every five and each DH a game out of every five, and then one of them gets the, the extra game at catcher, that's that's fine. And that's a totally reasonable use of your DH, and they're both good enough to do that. And I, I think the the Mets with like Brett Beatty could be the big piece to go back because they have Mark Vientos coming too. Theoretically, Alvarez could make sense, but I don't know if the Mets want to trade him. And the A's have already got multiple catcher prospects. So I'm not sure that's a great fit, but that could be figured out. I think one of the third basemen and maybe an, an outfielder or a pitcher could be a good way to start a deal. Murphy, meanwhile, Murphy is an underrated offensive catcher. And I think a lot of that comes down to his home road splits. So the last two seasons, his home WRC plus is 88 and 104. Combined, it's a 98. So 98 WRC plus over the last few years. Now, keep in mind, WRC plus is park adjusted, right? So like that 98 is after accounting for the fact that he's at Oakland. His road over the last two years is 108 and 124 with a 123 between the two years. So that is in each individual season, he is, or 123 for his career, not between the two years, sorry. He is 20 points of WRC plus better on the road each of the last two years and 25 points better for his career. When you look at Woba for his career, he's a 300 Woba at home and a 348 on the road. He just seems to get really badly hurt by Oakland, even more than you would expect based on the park effects. And like the difference between being a 300, the difference between him being split between Oakland and his road stats. So, you know, three, 300 at home, 348 on the road and being just outside of Oakland is the difference between him being a, in a 12 team league, a, 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 an acceptable starting catcher, a decent starting catcher in a 15 team league to moving up to like a top five catcher the rest of the way if he's not in Oakland. So I, I really like this. I love the idea. And I, you know, I talked again about the the return and, you know, who do you unblock? And so one of the things I like about this is I think the Mets are going to have a, a question on their hands between Beatty and Viento. So if you include one of them, either one of them could be performing for Oakland pretty soon without one of them blocking the other in New York. So I, I really like that idea. And honestly, like, I would be in any of my leagues going out and buying Sean Murphy right now. Because if you can get him now, I think in I think in a week his value is going to go up after he gets traded, and I think 
in a month after people see how good he is after he gets traded, he's going to be really hard to acquire, especially in keeper leagues. So I, I would go get him. I think the Mets should go get him. There's probably other teams that he fits to. The Guardians could really use an upgrade at catcher this year. And they're in a similar boat where I think Bo Naylor is a bit of an underrated prospect and they, he should be ready next year. And so maybe they don't want a controllable catcher. But again, I think that's a problem you can live with. And so I, I'm, yeah, Sean Murphy, somebody go get him and go get him in your fantasy leagues. Yeah, I like the, I like the fits for the Mets. I get you have Francisco Alvarez coming, but if you're the Mets, you're trying to win a World Series this year. And if the price tag on Wilson Contreras is too high or if he gets traded elsewhere and they miss out, like figure it out when Alvarez is ready. Like figure out this beautiful problem you have. Like you said, maybe it's just sharing catching duties and DH duties. They're both good enough to do so. So that that part doesn't bother me at all. And I mean, think back to like, I don't think we should ever underestimate the park difference. Like you, you, you brought up his WRC plus in the row versus WRC plus at home. And I, I don't think that should get ignored in any context ever. And I think the best example of that was Willie Adamas last year. And I think this could, this could be the type of such a dramatic shift similar to Adamas where Murphy is this year's Willie Adamas and maybe even more valuable because even though he's not going to get the steals, it's at a position, like you said, where he goes from this middle of the road, you know, fringe catcher to like top five at the position. Um, I'd love Murphy in New York or just, just in general Murphy outside of Oakland. I actually think the Red Sox could be a good fit. Um, Vasquez yeah, makes sense. is in a walk year. They don't have a lot of catching prospects coming up the pipeline. It doesn't look like Connor Wong, who they got in the movie Betts deal, is going to be the long-term answer. I think Murphy would be a great fit in Fenway. It'd be like a, they just signed Trevor Story. Like They're not in this giant rebuild, so they're looking to get back Major League players. I think he'd be a good fit. But kind of besides the point, yeah, get Murphy out of, uh, out of Oakland. Yeah, I like that. I, I like Boston as an interesting one. I mean, they, they'd have to figure out what to do with Vasquez because – I don't think you want to bring Murphy in and then have them split time this year. But I think the bigger issue for Boston is going to be whatever value you place on Murphy for 2023 and 2024. Because I think he still has two years of control after this one, if I'm correct. I should double check that. But whatever value you place on him for those years, you don't necessarily place that value on him for this year. And someone else will, right? Like the Mets can value him for two full seasons plus this playoff run. If Boston is selling, that doesn't really hold for them. So let's see. Yeah, he still has. Well, he's only got two years of service time, does Murphy? So he's just going to hit arbitration the next three years. First year next year. So he has 23, 24, and 25. Is that right? Man, somebody should pay a lot for him. That's my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get he's going to get screwed for his first contract cuz he's going to be a catcher at 31 years old trying to find a contract. So he he needs yeah. to have a big 3 years. Nobody's hoping to get out of Oakland more than he is this year. Yeah, no, it's actually it's a really interesting one because if you're a if you're a team looking for a catcher, he's he's kind of ideal because you can bring him in you can have him for his prime. You don't even have to worry about or think about extending him because you can just let him walk in three years. And that's sort of a, yeah, sort of a nice fit. But that's uh, that's sort of besides the point for now. The point is get him out of Oakland. Give him a chance to actually hit somewhere that he is going to be successful. Let's talk a little bit about Juan Soto. And it it is unclear to me. I go back and forth by the hour of whether it's like Soto's definitely getting moved or I'm like, eh, they're going to wait. They're not going to, you know, and and I can't decide if they still think they can extend him. And so therefore are going to, you know, give it the off season to take another shot at it. Or if that relationship is so burned that he's gone. And if he's gone, they should trade him now because his value, like I think one of the things people don't always think about when they think about trade value for players is that we tend to think about trade value as like how much how, how many wins are you going to get from this player over the life of their contract but there's a step function in there because getting him for the playoffs this year like picking him up right now 
when you're going to get two months of this season and then all of the next two seasons is worth more than an extra two months of time compared to getting them in the offseason because you get them for an extra playoffs. And so I think there's a pretty significant decrease in his value after the deadline. And yeah, so I guess he's going to get moved. But for now, let's forget speculating on whether or not he gets moved and focus on where would you like to see him go? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for fantasy purposes, I think the obvious answer is the Yankees, right? And and rumor is that they have got the best offer on the table. We'll see if that's actually true or not. But that's coming from Jeff Passan, so maybe it is. Um, so that that Passan thing, there was some tweets going out today about like Passan said they had offered like Glaber and four whatever. The exact same tweet went out about the Padres and I think one <laughs> other team saying that Passon had said it on some station in New York. So I think that's all fake. Yeah, I don't that's think it's gotta all be fooey. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I, I got mean, I got I I shared the inform like I shared one of those tweets in the auto new Slack and like three minutes later people were like, wait a second. <laughs> so <laughs> I just saw this for the Orioles. Like yeah. That's right. I mean uh, so I actually ended up going with the Padres because I had a hard time with this. Like if I'm just choosing where I want him to go for fantasy purposes then it's definitely the Yankees. If it's where I want him to go because I'm a baseball fan, it's the Red Sox. So I, I just kind of took it as like, what's the most realistic and what would be fun? And I think it I think it is actually the Padres. So it's interesting that you brought them up. First of all, I think they're realistic. From a starting point, it's hard to get better than if this is a starting point. And, and I have a hard time with this. Cause it's so, like I said a thousand times, it's so hard to predict this. But if, you know, they called and said, hey, we're, we're offering Hassel, Abrams, and more. I mean, that's, that's a heck of a starting point for this guy. I mean, that's two, what, top 10 prospects in baseball, even though Abrams, I think, has graduated from prospect status. And then they've got other names that would fit the bill of what they're looking for, like Estuary Ruiz or Mackenzie Gore, because they want MLB talent. I could see even Trent Grisham being a part of that deal if Washington thinks there's something they could do with him. But they've got a lot of a lot of pieces to move in San Diego. And I was reading a quote because originally I was going to pick the Giants for this. So I looked up, you know, what does it look like with the Giants? So I'm going to read this quote from Buster Olney. He said, my instinct is that I just don't see Farhan being the guy who is going to pay twice for an elite player like Juan Soto, paying the package of prospects now and then having the Scott Boris bill of 500 million plus in his next contract, which makes sense, right? That's not Farhan Zaidi's M.O., I don't see him doing that because I don't get a sense from talking to people in the organization that there's a high level of desperation, like this is our window, we have to win now. I do feel that from the Padres. That's what Buster only said. And so we're talking about a GM in San Diego. The name is escaping me. Preller, AJ Preller. Yes, AJ Preller. But yeah, GM and AJ Preller that's always looking to make a deal and now he's feeling pressure. And San Diego really needs the lineup boost. And imagine how fun that would be to have Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis Jr. all in the same lineup. And if you're the Nationals, like, that's an absolute haul. Like, that maybe you could sell to your fan base if you're getting two of the top 10 prospects in baseball, as well as other top guys and former top guys like Mackenzie Gore, like Ruiz, and like um, Trent Grisham. Not that he was a top prospect, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I actually I love the idea of Grisham in a trade there because they're going to have to figure out their what they're doing with Tatis. And if he's going to move to center field, then Grisham doesn't have a ton of value to them. But I think he is still like there's a lot of good still in Grisham. And so I'd be curious to see how would teams value him and would he be like he's not going to he's not going to carry a Soto deal, right? No, no one is like, oh, we got Trent Grisham as the key piece in a Soto deal. Like, that's great. But as like the third or fourth piece, I think he's a really interesting buy low as long as you're actually buying low. So I, I like that idea. The team that I kind of want to see him go to and, I, you know, focusing on it from a fantasy perspective, I'll, I'll start by saying this. From a fantasy perspective, I really don't care. Like if Juan Soto's on my team, he could go anywhere. He's still going to hit. And so I'm just, yes, it'd be great to see him hit in Yankee Stadium. But like, I just, I don't care that much. I picked the Dodgers, and the reason I picked the Dodgers has little to do with Soto and a lot to do with the guys who I think could maybe go the other way. And the Dodgers have a bunch of guys like Michael Bush, Andy Pages, Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, who are getting, you know, like Pepio's gotten a couple of appearances, but not really consistent run. 
Miller, we haven't seen yet. Page, we haven't seen yet. Bush, we haven't seen yet. But the guy I really want to see and, and I think would really benefit would be Miguel Vargas. He seems like these guys all seem blocked. Vargas is killing AAA. Third base is a disaster. The Nats have no answer at three at third base going forward. And so, you know, I think if you ship him off to DC, like he's their starting third baseman the day after the trade, if they want him to be, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they, but like they brought Ruiz up last year after a very similar deal. And so I I think you'll, I, I think he could get unlocked right away. And then I think, like I said, they could get Vargas and Pages, Bush, Miller, and Pepio, something like that, right? Which would be an, a hall of talent, all of whom are at double A or above, all of whom could be helping out the Nationals this year, if not next. Like, there, it just it makes a ton of sense. It unlocks a bunch of guys, and so I re- I really like it from that perspective. And, but I think at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to for me with the Soto trade from a fantasy perspective. I'm less worried about where he goes and more interested in who suddenly gets thrust into a meaningful role because they got traded. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously, like, as a baseball fan, I would love for him to end up in Cleveland. Cleveland 100% has the package to get it done. I even tweeted a a, a sort of a thread the other day saying that as a – if I were running the Guardians – I would actually very strongly think, consider, like I would put together the package I think I'm willing to give up for two and a half years of soda. And I would put that trade out there. And if it happens, I would say he wants to test free agency. We are not planning to extend it. We did not trade for him to extend him. We traded for him to have him here for the next two and a half years to hit him with a qualifying offer and let him do his thing. And we're fine with that. And I would do that if I'm the Guardians. Now, it's not their MO, so it's unlikely they would do it. I also think that you're going to run into an issue if you're a team like that, where if you're willing to give up four prospects, some other team like the Dodgers, like the Padres, like the Yankees, will throw in a fifth prospect because they will be able to, they'll take advantage of an exclusive negotiating window on top of the two and a half years of, of Soto. So, I, from that perspective, I don't think Cleveland's realistic, but like everybody should be in on this guy. And I just, from a fantasy fantasy perspective, I just don't care. Go wherever he'll hit. Anything else on Soto? And, no, I, I definitely like the Dodgers fit. I think another player that could go back to the Nationals in that is Gavin Lux. And I'm not, I don't think it changes much. And Gavin Lux isn't much of a fantasy player. He's a much better actual baseball player. He's been pretty much an everyday player already this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if Lux is a part of that. Obviously, the Dodgers could put together a package. And you brought up Miguel Vargas. He should already be up. That's kind of the problem I'm having. Like, oh, for sure. For sure. Why are you trotting out Max Muncy still? It's it's almost August and he's batting like 150. Vargas has been incredible. There's a great piece in The Athletic written by Fabian Ardell. I don't want to say his name incorrectly, but a writer for The Athletic got me super pumped up for Miguel Vargas. And he is like, it could be any moment that that dude is called up. And I I wouldn't be surprised if that happens within the next week. If it doesn't happen within the next month, then I I don't know what the Dodgers are doing because Max Muncy is not the answer. Yeah, 100%. 100%. They should be giving Vargas a shot. And I don't know, hopefully he gets moved because I want him to get a shot somewhere. So let's do a, a quick call it a lightning round of other guys that I think would be good to get moved. Start with some of the comments we got on Twitter. One of them from at S.A. Kyle, S-A-K-I-E-H-L, who suggested that Luis Castillo could go to San Francisco. Now, from a park perspective and a team perspective, that's a huge upgrade for him. Interestingly, San Francisco's defense, as we talked about, is not very well rated. It's also unclear if if San Francisco are buyers. I do love the idea that like Castillo has always seemed like a guy whose talent outpaces his production. And I love the idea of San Francisco's coaches getting a hold of him because it it seems like if there's some tweak that can be made, they would figure it out. So I thought that was an interesting one. Matt Heckman, who we've had on the show before, uh, you can find him on Twitter at Heckman underscore Matt 115. He had a couple of names he threw out there. One of them was he suggested Joey Gallo to Miami, Miami, or like literally anywhere else. Get Gallo out of New York from a fantasy perspective. I don't know how much you want to see that, but 
get him out of New York and let him try to hit again because I just I don't get what's happening with him and he's way too talented for this. And I I think there are some guys, I mean, maybe Sonny Gray is the best recent example. Like some guys just don't seem to handle New York well. And so maybe he just needs to go somewhere else. But I, I'd at least like to find out. I would uh, I, I think we should combine those last two and see if we can get Luis Castillo to the Yankees and as part of a prospect package, because the Reds are looking long term, take Joey Gallo as well. Say like, hey, we've got a very similar offer from, you know, the Dodgers and the Mariners. If you want this deal to get done, we need Joey Gallo. And not because I don't think Park matters that much for Gallo because he hits absolute tanks, but more he would hit more tanks in Cincinnati. And it's a perfect oh, like yeah. kind of like what they did with Tommy Pham, where it was like, let's sign this guy for a year. Let's bring this guy in. And if he performs well, we can get a prospect for him. I think that's a good way to view Gallo because there's no question he would hit in since well hold on there's no question that he would hit for a lot of power in cincinnati he would not hit a lot yeah. in cincinnati <laughs> <laughs> fair enough the other guy that that matt mentioned also came up from at around pod the around the diamond podcast uh, and I, I like the way they said this they said to get tyler molly out of great american small park I hadn't heard the Great American Small Park, but it is a good nickname for that place. And yeah, I mean, Molly's home road splits are awful. Just awful. He he needs out of that park so badly. And this is he's the kind of guy that like, the, there was a suggestion, I think Matt suggested Baltimore. It's like, go get him, get him out of that park, get him in a place that now is at least <laughs> a little bit more pleasant for pitchers and have an ace lined up for next year, potentially. I, I like that idea. I mean, Tyler Molly is the polar opposite of Luis Castillo. I said the ballpark wasn't a problem for Castillo because he puts the ball in the gr- or he, he induces so many ground balls. Molly's the opposite. He has had a 36% fly ball rate this year. And that's still with a 20% line driver. I mean, over half of the balls that are put in play, way more than half of the balls put in play are put in the air for Tyler Molly. And that is obviously killing him at Great American Ballpark. So yeah, get him anywhere. Another guy who I don't want to keep coming back to the Red Sox, they need pitching in the worst way. I wouldn't mind seeing them throw a few players at Cincinnati to get Tyler Molly. Yeah, I would I would take him in Cleveland as well. I mean, I think that he's he'd be a great foot in a lot of places. And I wonder if he's sort of, you know, is he the budget option out on the trade market right now? Because he's been because his number like people are going to question him, right? He's not going to have that. He isn't Montas and he isn't Castillo. He isn't. The next guy we should maybe talk about, Pablo Lopez, right? right? Like Lopez is supposedly on the market. And Daniel Port, who is our our colleague at PitcherList, had suggested Pablo Lopez to Cleveland. It's unclear to me if that's his fantasy perspective or just him being a Guardians fan and wanting Pablo <laughs> Lopez. But I do think, you know, I, I'm a little biased. I'll admit to that. But like any pitcher that goes to Cleveland I'm feeling good about because they've done they've done such a good job of helping pitchers develop. And, you know, the worry with Lopez, though, is the health, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look at his career innings. So I called him not to toot my own horn here. I called him a sell high like at the end of, I don't know, April. And I mean, look, if you held on to him, it's not like he was bad. He just obviously wasn't as good as he was. I think a lot in a lot of leagues, people could have got hauls for Pablo Lopez. I do worry about the health. I think of all those pitchers in, in Miami, he is the most likely to move because of his age and health situation. This is a prime sell-high opportunity for them as well. Any place would be a good fit, but sure, why not Cleveland where you know they've had so much success in the past? Yeah. Speaking of Miami, they the, the rumors are that they will listen to anyone, listen on anyone except Sandy, which means that your boy Jazz is theoretically on the block. That's just where would you want so- to see him go? so weird like i agree but it seems like they're it seems like they they are it seems like organizationally they aren't fans of him like it just seems like he's rubbed people the wrong way there was that weird team meeting earlier this year that apparently he was at the center of so like i it seems weird to me it seems wrong to me i'll be honest if i'm thinking about where jazz should go other than my reply to, to daniel port by the way and the pablo lopez thing was like if they could go get pablo lopez and Jazz Chisholm and bring them to <laughs> Cleveland. Like I'd be, I'd be super excited about that. But the biggest thing for me on Jazz is if they trade him, he needs to go to an organization that will let him be himself and let him be the personality. Like he is, he'd be such a positive personality for the game if he were just completely unlocked. And so, like 
my my fear with him is that he ends up in like Chicago and Tony Larusa. Oh Jesus, no, now. that's or he ends up or he ends up in New York <laughs> where they're like, you know, you have to dress like a Yankee and act like a Yankee and blah blah. blah. Like those are like just none of those places. I like. I think Toronto could be an awesome landing spot for him because I think like it'd just be a super fun team. And you know, do they have room for him? I don't know. That team is they they seem to have good players everywhere, but I would I, I would take him if I were them. I'm trying to think of what other teams he could go to and just be who he is. The Padres? Uh, am I like, wrong in thinking that Gabe Kapler's that kind of guy? I don't know. San Francisco, like I can't think of any like big personalities in San Francisco. Yeah. Like, I can't no, think of anyone there who like whereas like in in San Diego, you know, Machado has had a ha- had a reputation at times for being difficult to deal with, but seems to be doing fine there, seems well liked there. They haven't had issues with him. Tatis is obviously a big personality and like man, I if Tatis could go back to shortstop and Jazz could be their second baseman, like that would be a there'd be some super fun turn double plays in that <laughs> infield. So Alex I, I, Cora like, is known to be a player's coach. I don't know know why yeah. the Red Sox would have too much interest there, but no. And, and actually, you think about if we're as long as like I mentioned Cleveland, Francona had a had a history in in Boston of dealing with big personalities and making them mesh well, and a lot like you know you think about those like. Big Poppy and Manny and like those teams, Johnny Damon, like they, he, he did a good job of letting those guys be themselves. And so, you know, Tito can work. I don't know. Be interesting. If he goes, I'm not again. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing I'll mention, and then we can see if you've got anything else, you can let me know. Actually, two more I want to mention. One is the Guardians have talked about being willing to trade controllable pitching, please sack Savali, maybe even Bieber. I would love to see them unblock guys like Hunter Gaddis or Peyton Battenfield and pave the way for Daniel Espino, Gavin Williams. Like they're, they're, the future is coming for that Cleveland rotation. I'd love to see them both from a personal and a fantasy perspective. I'd love to see them sort of move their way towards that. And the other one is we talked about this before, and I'm curious to get your take on it. Boston could use a first baseman. They clearly are not ready to call up Tristan Cassis. Nathaniel Lowe is on Texas. Texas is going nowhere. Lowe's home home road splits are crazy. He has been very, very good outside of Texas. And I think he could fit really well in Fenway. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that he could. I'm looking up his contract right now. Yeah, so I mean, he he hasn't hit arbitration yet, so he's he'd be locked up for a while. I like in terms of fit in fantasy, like yeah, of course I see it. I see the home road splits. You know, it, it's Fenway Park. Um, we're talking about a, a power hitting lefty. Like yeah, it, it sort of fits the bill. Although Fenway can be a little hard on left handed power. That wasn't the case for a certain number thirty four, but in the past it has been. I just like Cassis. It hasn't been called up, not really because of production, but because of his ankle sprain. And I think the Red Sox season is heading in a direction where it's like, we're just going to continue to trot out these two disasters and Franchi Cordero and Bobby Dahlbeck until the Sox do feel like it's time to call up Cassis. And then we're going to see what we have. If over the next, you know, if they somehow... Dahlbeck had a home run, just so you know. Yeah. Dahlbeck, of, of course he did. Too. Of course <laughs> he did. Yeah. Which means he didn't strike out, which he does like, what, 40% of the time. I, I've lost he complete faith time. in all Red Sox first baseman outside of Tristan Cassis. So... Yeah, no, I mean, I think the the thing I'll say about about Cassis and Lowe is JD Martinez is gone too, and so they need a first baseman and they have room at DH. So those two guys could coexist. And if you really run into an issue, like if Lowe is as good as I think he could be in Boston, and Cassis is as good as you and lots of prospect prospect prognosticators think he is, then you trade one of them if you need to, or you use one of them at DH and it's fine. So I, I I think that's a problem that can solve itself, but I hear you. So any any other trades, any other lightning rounds, quick mentions you want to talk about? Or I'd like to see Trey Mancini land someplace awesome and, and let see him make a run. Uh, I know, you know, we've, we've talked about Baltimore being this like <laughs> rocket ship, but I'm pretty certain they're not going anywhere. And, and like you said, I think they're going to have a pretty tough second half. So they have pieces to move that like, as happy as I'd be for Trey Mancini to go to a place like the Mets, it'd also be huge for 
Baltimore to start adding to that future core. And I think moving Mancini is a good way to do that. I also wouldn't be surprised if they start moving those bullpen pieces with him. I know there was a rumor that the Mets were going to get Mancini and then it got tied up because they also wanted Dylan Tate. But like as awesome as he's been, why not move Jorge Lopez as well? Like you're not actually competing right now. So like cash in these chips that are not long-term answers for you and, and like, let's go. Yeah, I'm with you, and I think it would be it'd be great to see Mancini get into the playoffs and get the. He's just been so lost in Baltimore because Baltimore has been Baltimore, and it would just be great to see him on a national stage and nationally broadcast games. Like, it's such a good story, and he seems like such a good dude. And I just it'd be it'd be great to to see that come together for him. So, also we'll real see quick if it happens. If they did move Jorge Lopez, like Felix Batista's fantasy value is going to go through the roof because that guy is oh, yeah. filthy and he's going to be getting yes. save opportunities. Well, and I would think he's the one they would keep, right? Because he's he's going to be there a while. So I would think they he wouldn't be one of the guys they would trade. Although, again, I if I'm not competing, I'm trading everyone in my bullpen. I don't care how long. Like I'm just they can go. That's yeah. just me, though. So I think we've covered enough and. We should probably stop there. We'll have more to talk about next week. Yes. After the trades are actually done, we can talk about the fantasy impact of the trades that actually happened instead of these made up ones that don't happen. (laughs) But thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us ratings and reviews. Follow the show at keep or cut on Twitter. That's cut with a K. You can find Pete on Twitter at Pete B baseball. You can find me at Chad Young. Love to hear from you. You got questions. Let us know. You got teams you want us to look at. Let us know. Happy to help out any way we can. Have a good week and we'll be back with you next week.